Thank you very much. Good morning. Good to see so many beautiful people up here this morning. You're all looking great. The band were looking pretty good. I think... Are we okay? One, two, one, two. I think you lot look better, better than the band, though. I mean, they look pretty good, but I think you lot look better than the band. Um, yeah, Vicky was talking about Malham Cove. It's great. If you get a chance to go there, it is a beautiful walk. It's not very difficult to do. It's just really lovely. Um, me and the boys, we like to do hill climbing, and we've done a few mountains over the years. The first one we did, we're still a bit loud on this, aren't we? Is that better? Yeah. The first one we did was Snowden. Anyone done Snowden? Yeah, one, yeah, one or two. The, uh, quite a few from the church did Snowden a few weeks back. The first time I did Snowden with the boys, in fact, the first and the second time, the first time we did it, we went away on holiday to North Wales. The weather was absolutely dreadful. It was really, really bad. There was only one day on the holiday we could possibly climb, and the weather was really bad. And the boys were only kind of 10, and we started climbing, and the weather just got worse and worse and worse as we were going up. We hit this point where we went over a kind of top and all of a sudden this gust of wind came and, and it literally nearly blew us off the top of the mountain and all I could do was just get the boys on the ground and just kind of cover them and they both said, Dad, can we go down? And I'm thinking, glad you said that because <laughs> now is the time to go down. So the first time wasn't such a success. Second time was a bit more of a success apart from one of my boys who will remain nameless we get near the top and there's a, there's a cliff edge and it's quite steep and, and we're safe. He's nowhere near the edge, but he's just kind of a few steps behind me. And, and I, you know, I'm kind of thinking, hey, hold on, he's behind me. Let's check he's okay and, you know, he's not drifted too close to the edge. As I turn around to see one of my sons picking up rocks and just throwing them <laughs> over the edge. Fortunately, we didn't hear any screams from anyone climbing up along the way. So that was pretty bad. Um, in fact, come on, let's say this in faith. We do this every week. I am a child of God, so I'm entitled to all the benefits that brings. Right now, I am ready to listen to all that God has to say to me and to respond with faith, belief, and be changed by His Word Amen. I, it feels like, it really feels like we are closer than we think to where we're going. Now, it is a cliche, but it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. We're on a journey. Our ultimate destination is not here on earth. Our destination is far higher than that. We have a greater hope than that if you're a Christian in this place. But it, it really feels like this morning that in a corporate sense that we're closer than we've ever been, that we're on the verge of things. But it feels like there's some of you in here this morning, as I was preparing this word, I pray and, and I like to seek God and ask him, you know, what is it that you've got for the congregation, for the people, what have you got? And it really felt like the, 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 a message that God wanted to get across to some of you in here this morning was that you are closer than you think. You are closer personally. You are closer than you think. It's about getting started though. 
He wants to say this, it is about getting started. Many, many years ago, um, when I'd been a Christian a couple of years, and it was one of, you you have these kind of moments if you're a Christian, and you've got a relationship with God, where you you feel God really speak to you. You have these moments where you really feel him him talk to you and say something, particularly when it's something significant. And this was was really significant to me. This was to kind of give up what I was doing career-wise, and complete career career change and go into teaching, go to university, all this kind of stuff. And he gave me a verse that confirmed it because I was quite nervous at the time about doing this. And the verse was from uh, Zechariah 4 verse 10 and different translations put it different ways. But essentially what the verse says is, it says this, it says, despise not the small beginnings. Don't despise the small beginnings. The beginnings Literally, the beginnings. Sometimes we want to get to the destination. We want to get to the end. We want to see what the end is like. And it be, we could become so obsessed with the prize or where we're going that the kind of bit at the beginning, it almost can seem like a chore. It can seem like, oh man, I've got this big massive journey ahead. Imagine you're about to climb a mountain and you're at the bottom and you've maybe never done it before and you're nervous and you're not sure if you fit enough. All these kind of things are going through your mind and, and suddenly you've got this huge huge, huge, and you start taking those steps. And invariably when you climb a mountain, the first section is the steepest. What is it about mountains that the first section is the steepest? Literally the first section tends to be the hardest bit and you're thinking, oh my goodness, is, if this what's it, what it's going to be like, I don't know if I'm going to survive and make it to the end. But God's saying to some of you this morning, don't despise the small beginnings. Don't despise the start. It is all about, he goes on to say in that verse that he rejoices that God rejoices to see the work begin. God loves to see the start of the work. You would think he would talk all about the end. Actually, God says, no, I rejoice to see the work begin, to see it started. The small beginnings. If it was a church, it would be when there's just a few of you and you're just meeting together and you're just getting on. Maybe if it's your marriage, maybe it'd be that first date when you first meet and you don't know how it's going to go or how it's going to work out. Maybe if you've got a business or you've got a job or a career, maybe it's at the very beginning of that when you don't know if you're going to be able to pass the exams or get through or you don't know how the business is going to go, whether it's going to succeed or maybe it's a new job, whatever it is. But God's saying to you this morning, He rejoices to see the beginnings, to see the start of the thing. Because he knows, right, when you start something in earnest, I never used to know what that word meant, in earnest. But that means in all seriousness. When you start something in all seriousness, when you begin, no matter how small that beginning is, that God knows that when you've done that in faith with him, you've already succeeded. You've already got there. God can see the end from the beginning, so why wouldn't he rejoice at seeing you start? Because he knows once you start, he's going to get you through right the way to the end. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. His arm is not shortened or weakened, that he is not mighty and strong enough to bring you through. It says of Jesus that when he was on earth, he lost none. None of those that were given to him. None of them. He is strong and mighty and he is well able to see you through to where you need to be, to see that work fulfilled. But what he's saying to you this morning is, start the work. Start the work. 
Yeah, for some of you, it's about starting this morning. God's saying, start. Just get on with it. You know what? We can do. I've got three things written down here, almost as a bit of an intro. We can do anything. Do you realize that? That You're not convincing me. I hope I'm convincing you more than you're convincing me, right? Do you realize we can do anything? I'm going to add something else onto this so you can, you can, don't worry, it's not the end of the statement. We can do anything. Anyone agree with that? Yeah. 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 Uh, The Bible says, right, Jesus said, you can do all things through him. Yeah. So uh, we take that as a starting point, starting premise. Yeah. Second thing I would say about that is, though, that doesn't mean we should do everything. Think about it for a moment. We can do anything, but it is not ours to do everything. There's not the time. It's not possible. It's not possible. So actually the question becomes not, oh, I can just do anything. What should I do? No, the question becomes, what should I do? What should I do? Because if you know what you should do, then whether you can achieve it and you can succeed is not in question. There's no doubt over that whatsoever. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt what you should do, then you can achieve it. You absolutely can achieve it. So the goal is to know what is it that we should do. Not like, oh, we could just, I can do anything. It's like the sweeties yard. I can have any sweeter one. And I'm just, just anything in the world. No, that's not good. That'll make you fat. We don't want to be fat. And the third thing I would say is this, that God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you, but in line with all of that, he, he's not just passive, like sat there like, hey, just anything, the, the world's your oyster, you can do anything you want. You can't do everything, but just go and pick anything you want, go and do it. No, God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you into all truth, into where you should be, what your destiny is for your life. How incredible is that? That's God's desire, his heart for you. And it's not changed. I don't care where you find yourself right now, what mistakes you think you've made, how you think you might have messed it up or blown it or whatever. His heart, his attitude, his thoughts, his feelings for you haven't changed. Yours may have done, but his haven't. It is about compatible goals. It is about having compatible goals. Think about this. If I want to kind of climb mountains or do something that requires a certain level of fitness, then I can't then eat anything I want, can I? I can't just lay in bed and miss the gym. I've got to do all of that, as you can tell. I've, you know. There's a story in the Bible about a character really, really wrestled with, with this and bringing this in. I'm, I'm just going to skate over it a little bit, but uh, Elijah in the Bible, incredible man, absolutely incredible man. He kind of appears on the scene. If you think of it like a movie, Elijah just appears on the scene from nowhere. He just comes in from nowhere. The town he's from or the, the village or whatever it is, no one really knows it. It's not a well-known place, a little bit like Warrington. Right, So it's nothing special. And Elijah just suddenly appears on the scene. And the first thing you see him do is go to the king, who's evil and corrupt, by the way. It's an evil and corrupt king. Right, The first thing that, that it's recorded as effectively that he does is to go to the king and tell him that basically 
there's a drought coming. All your prosperity that you've got right now, right? You think you're prosperous. You think you're living your life anywhere you want and that's fine. There's no consequences, no problems whatsoever. But guess what? There's a drought coming. Your strength and your might is about to be taken away. He goes to the king and tells him this. I don't think the king even knows who he is. And this was a significant thing that he did because immediately afterwards he fled. Elijah fled and hid God hid him to protect him. So this was no small thing that he did. He said, he actually, actually said to the king, it was, you can look at it too, as you can look at it, it, it was a, like a, a miraculous thing that Elijah brought about. Or I, I think it's possibly more really that it was prophetic that God knew was, this was going to happen and basically gave Elijah the, the if you like, the, you've got my authority to proclaim this. I'm telling you what's about to happen and you've got my authority. This is my opinion on this. I'm not saying this is definitely the case, but I think it's a good shout on it. And, and so Elijah kind of scoots off and, and hides and God hides him. But he says, no rain will come. There will be a drought until I speak. Until I release it effectively. What a thing. This king wanted to kill him. Elijah kind of eventually comes back. And many of you will know the story if you've read it. It's one of the more famous stories in the Bible. Elijah eventually comes back and and he basically challenges the king and all his people and everything. He he rocks up and and speaks to the king again. And and he does this challenge with all the prophets, all the king's prophets, who are evil prophets. They're not godly prophets. If you're a Christian and you imagine you're in a church, right? And you've got someone in that church who is like who's a devil worshipper it'd be a bit like that this was a a a godly nation a nation that was founded on God everything about them their whole identity was in God and then you've got this king who's suddenly worshipping idols and devils and all of this kind of stuff and Elijah comes back and he goes right you and all your prophets come on me, me against all of you. Come on, one at a time or all at once. I'll take you all on. He's kind of, he's full of bravado. He's really giving it large, right? So he, he takes all these prophets on and, and he, I mean, he goes to quite extremes. It's such a long story. I, I debated whether to read it through, but it's just too long to read it. So please go and read it. It's in 1 Kings. You'll find it. I'm not going to tell you where it is. Read the whole of 1 Kings because that's a good thing to do. I think it's round about chapter 12 if memory serves me rightly. So Elijah kind of, you know, he, he challenges all these prophets and they're, they're, they're all giving it all of this. And what he says is basically, you get, you lot, all pray to your God, right, and get him to bring rain down. Go on, off you go. And he, he, he's that full of himself, right? He's even mocking them because they're all doing all the stuff and they're whipping themselves and all of this kind of stuff because that's what they did. That's what they thought was the way that you, you got God or your gods to do what you wanted by penance. By kind of beating yourself up and sacrifices and the bigger the sacrifice, the more happy your gods would be. Doesn't make any sense that, does it? Can't please God. Let me tell you this right now. You cannot please God by the greatest sacrifice you could possibly make. God says all of that is rags, filthy rags to me. It means nothing to me. You cannot do anything to impress me. I'm God. My relationship with you is based on me and my love for you, not you and who you are or how you are or how good you are or how much you impress me or anything like that. None of those things. 
That, I was hoping that would get a better response than that. I was hoping, like, think about that for a moment. If, you know what? If we just scrap the rest of the notes and don't do any of that, just think about that thought for a moment, right? All around the world, people, many, many people are trying to impress God. They're trying to please Him. They're trying to get into relationship with Him by doing all kinds of things to impress Him. They're worrying, they've got anxiety over all the things that they've done wrong where they might have let God down and they're anxious. In fact, there are, some of you in here are in this place right now. You're in this place right now. You're anxious about what you've done wrong and that God might be upset with you. That he might be disappointed with you. That you might have damaged your relationship with him such that he no longer loves you or he loves you less or any of these things. And the Bible says clearly that is just not the case. That's not the case. God's relationship with you, his love for you is based on him and who he is. Not you and who you are. If you're anyone who's got kids, and if you've not got kids, you'll understand this. Imagine if my kids, right, I, I have children, and then when they're like three or four, they kind of start messing up and that, and I just go, do you know what? Yeah, I, you, you're kind of a bit too much hard work, and I don't really like you anymore. And just, you, just, just go. I, I, I'm, I'm done with you. I, that, you. You wouldn't think I was a very good dad, would you? You, you wouldn't be very pleased, you wouldn't be impressed, you wouldn't be, I wouldn't be someone you'd warm to. I would hope not anyway. God's not like that. God is not like that. Despite what you may think, despite what you may have seen or heard, God is not like that. He loves you. Despite you. Despite you, you can't do anything to stop that love, that great love that he has. He has to, otherwise he'd be a liar. He would be a liar, and there's probably not the time to go into it so much. But basically with the story, Elijah's got all his bravado, and, and all these guys are trying to impress their gods, and it's not working. And, and, and Elijah's mocking him, he's going like, what, is he, is he deaf? Is your is he God deaf? Can I hear you? Do you need to shout a bit louder? He's giving them all this. He's giving it all that. And, and they get nowhere. And then Elijah goes, okay, my turn. I'm going to call down rain. I'm gonna, in fact, I'm not going to call down rain. I'm going to call down fire to burn up this sacrifice. In fact, let's raise, the, let's raise the stakes. Soak it. Soak it. Absolutely soak it. So there can be no doubt that my God has gone and done this. Soak it. Yeah. Drench it. Drown it. Yeah. And God answered. Yeah. And the, the thing that happened immediately after that is, is, is what I want to talk about this morning. Because Elijah, he just had perhaps one of the greatest victories. This is like David and Goliath. That's the kind of scale this is on. It's as big, it is as big as that. It might not get talked about as much. David and Goliath, you can turn it into a kid's story. It's really easy to kind of speak about, so that's why people have heard about it more. This is no less great than David and Goliath, what Elijah did here, or what God did through him. Yet immediately afterwards, right, Jezebel, the wife of the king, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to hunt you down like a dog. I'm paraphrasing it, obviously, a little bit. She didn't quite say that, but that was the kind of thing she was saying. Elijah's petrified. He runs for his life. He's fearful. He's scared. 
He heads off for cover and for safety. And he's giving it all the woe is me, God. Oh, God, it's so terrible. In fact, I, I, I may as well die. Take me now. He's having a right pity party. Take me now. It's all bad, Lord. You know, I, I've, I've impressed you. He gives the whole, I mean, he goes the full nine yards with his pity party. He's like, I'm the only one left. You know what I mean? I'm the, I've done all this great stuff and it's all just terrible because I've done all of this and, and now look at me, God. I, this woman's going to kill me. She's pronounced it. She's desperate to kill me and murder me and it's all terrible. And it, God saves Elijah. Some great verses about kind of God sends storms and thunder and all this kind of stuff. And then in the end of it, there's just silence. That all the worship and, you know, the, the loud noise and the, and the praise and everything. And praise and worship, I believe, should be loud. Not because God's deaf, by the way. It's not like, like the, them, them prophets or anything. But at the end of it, there's just silence. And God speaks to Elijah in the silence. Still, small voice. He calls it a still, small voice. And Elijah knows. And the point I want to make is that you've got one of the mightiest men in the Bible. The, the Jews to this day behold Elijah. They behold him. He's on a pedestal. He, he's one of the major prophets. One of the three most revered men in the Old Testament. Yet he was petrified. Absolutely petrified. And what I want to talk about this morning is the, the secret, if you like, to living a quality life. Anyone want to live a quality life? Yeah. A life that you get to the end of it, and if you're a Christian, maybe you, you long for this phrase. This phrase is meaningful to me. This has meaning. I want to hear God say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That those kind of words, that's the kind of thing I want to hear at the end of my life. And, and, and that would be marked by a successful life. But here's Elijah who lived a successful life. Yet here he is in the midst after his great, immediately after his greatest victory. And he's petrified. He like goes from up there to down there in, in, in boom, in a, in a moment, yeah. in a breath. But God picks him up yeah. in a moment. And in a breath. I, I want to tell you the secret, if you like, the way to live in a, a, a significant, a successful, a, a quality life. And, and what it's not is your circumstances. Let's just clear this up right now. It is not about your circumstances. You might think to yourself, well, Barry, I can't because I don't have much money or my health's bad or whatever. Anyone know anyone who's rich? I'm miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, anyone know those people? Yeah. So it ain't about the money. It's about how much money you've got. Yeah. Money won't make you rich. Yeah. Although, if you've got plenty of money and it's not making you rich, come and see me because you're shopping in the wrong places. I might be able to help you. You know what I mean? Just come and have a chat. I'm just putting it out there. 
I jest. It's not about the money, is it? Plenty of, of people with lots of money who aren't happy. Maybe it's the power. Maybe it's having power, a title, a position. I can tell you, right? I've, I, you, you could say I've got a title. Me and Vicky have got a title. And, and, and there's days when you can't, it's like, it's, 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 the title don't make, make you happy. There's no way to the title. In fact, it just brings a big burden with it. It's like, it's a challenge. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a weight. It's a weight of responsibility. And sometimes you just don't want it. So it ain't the power. Anyone know any powerful people? Anyone got a boss who's miserable as sin? Come on, anyone? Maybe you don't want to shout it out in case he's in or she's in. So it ain't about the power. It's not the title or the position. So many people think, oh, when I get this position, then I'll be happy. When I get this title, when I have this plaque, <laughs> then I'll be happy. I've arrived and, and it'll all be great then. And, and you think to yourself, don't you? It won't matter because you, you, you have them moments and maybe someone says to you, yeah, but you're sure if you really thought this through and you're like, no, it doesn't matter. Whatever comes, I'll just be happy when I get this. When I get this, I'll just be happy. It doesn't matter what comes with it until you actually get what comes with it. Oh, boom, and then it's tough. And then it's not so happy. It's, and, and you might say, well, okay, yeah, it's not about, I get it, it's not about wealth or money, it's not about power, but health's important. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you, health is important. You know, we, we're a church, we believe in healing. Absolutely, we believe in that. But anyone know anyone who's really poorly and they are just like so, so happy and joyful? You never hear a moan or complain or anything like that. Anyone know people like that? Yeah, yeah. Anyone know people who are really, really healthy and all they do is moan and complain? It's not about the health. It's not about the health. The health won't make you happy. You think, it, you know, oh, well, when I'm better, I'll, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have a smile. Nah, if you can't be happy when you're ill, you won't be able to be happy when you're well. If you can't be happy when you're poor, you won't be able to be happy when you're rich. If you can't be happy when you haven't got the title, you won't be able to be happy when you have got the title. It's not about any of these things. None of these things... None of these things will bring you happiness. It is about your relationship and your communication. That is what it is about. It is all about that. It is about your communication and your relationship. Think about this for a moment. Anyone know any people, right, that what seemingly makes them happy is being down and depressed and having problems and issues because they love to moan about it because they think, hey, when I moan about this, I'll get loads of sympathy and then I'll be happy. Anyone know people like that? Maybe you're that person. <laughs> Oh, there you go. There it is, right there. There were some, some noises. I reckon them noises were some people who were like, yeah, I know it's someone in this room near me. And they're like that. Change. If that's you, change. If that's you, change. Stop moaning. Stop complaining. Where does it say in the Bible to moan and complain? Anyone read that? Can anyone tell me that it's like it says in the Bible we should moan and complain? Doesn't it say we should have a, a pleasing spirit and we should be rejoicing and saying positive things and good things? Doesn't it say, I mean, I couldn't tell you all the verses it says about that kind of stuff. So, it, 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 but there's so many people that think that. I have to have a look at my notes. I'm trying, I don't like to look at my notes too notes, but I'm going to get a bit lost otherwise. <laughs> So what is it? It's communication. So think about back to Elijah. He's all down and everything. 
And then he has a moment with God. Yeah. And God speaks to him. Yeah. And God gives him the context and talks to him and tells him the reality of the situation that he's in. And so what I'm saying is what you need to do in every single situation is this, right? You say to God, God, what's the meaning of this? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Anyone? Anyone in a bit of a mess at the moment and you've not quite done that yet, do it now. Don't even wait till I've finished preaching. Just do it while I'm talking. Just get in there right now. God, what is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of this? Because when God tells you what the meaning of it is, it changes it in the twinkling of an eye. See, this is, we have a bit of a tension between moments and, and, and kind of, change we have both in the christian life there are moments of change when transformation happens in a moment there are also change in your life as a christian that happens over time over maybe weeks months years decades your entire life and it's both but this is one of those moments when god says to you when you go to god and you get an answer from him and he says to you here's what it means here's why they've done that to you I know about it. I'm all over it. I know what's going on. And I'll tell you why and what, and what the truth of the situation is and what's going on and what it's about. And then you go, oh, thank you, God. Yeah. yeah, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Anyone being mistreated and, and someone's kind of just being nasty to you and horrible to you. Here's the thing, right? When you get the meaning from God, when you pray and God gives you the meaning of what you're going through, suddenly you have a peace. The Bible describes it as a peace that surpasses understanding. Uh, let me give you an example. If it's someone who's mistreating you, it could be even a boss that's persecuting you, whatever. The, the natural way to respond to that, the, the world's way would be hate them. Talk about them, call them, you name it, all of that stuff. They're terrible, they're this, they're that, the other. Guess what, right? If you go down that route, it will not bring you any kind of prosperity whatsoever in any way, shape or form. You will reap what you sow. Bible says you reap what you sow. So if you're a person that decides to take retribution yourself and you think, right, I'm going to get my own back. I'm going to sort this out. Guess what? It'll come back on you because it's not your place to. Because really, do you want all the retribution that you're due from what you've done to others? Do you want them doing all that to you? Probably not. That's the thing, isn't it? That's the reality of it. We actually, we don't mind it when it's someone else who's wronged us. We, then we want justice. Then we want it all dealt with, don't we? But when it's the other way around and you're like, you're on the roundabout and you forgot to indicate and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, it was just a mistake. But when it's the next day and someone else forgets to, to indicate and you have to wait and you could have gone and you're all furious with them. You, why didn't you indicate? I could have gone then. Now I've got to wait and, and that was, I missed my opportunity and you're giving it all that. You're not letting them off like you wanted to be let off the day before. Anyone done that? In fact, let's do some verses. If you've got your Bibles with you, right, we're going to get these up. Matthew 7. This is Jesus right from the mouth of our Lord and Saviour. Tell me if I get this wrong, right? Judge others and then you won't be judged. 
That's what it says. It says, judge others and you will not be judged. Yeah, there at the beginning. But it does say that, doesn't it? Judge others and you will not be judged. Context importance, isn't it? Yeah, do not. You take that do not out, suddenly it has a completely different meaning. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. You know, when someone comes talking about someone, ask for the context. Find out all the context you can before you start judging. And then when you've got all the context, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. Wow. Just stop there for me. I mean, we should just, I, I, I almost feel like we should just stop and do a whole Quaker thing and just all sit quietly for 10 minutes and just meditate on that. Or that, because you're looking at it up there, aren't you? I'm looking at it down here. Do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. If, if you want to argue with me on that, I'm just going to go speak to, the, speak to God because like he said this, not me. He said this. The standards you use, what are your standards? See, here's another thing about the quality of your life. It is your standards. What are your standards? Are your standards a messy bedroom and it doesn't really matter? Are your standards that it doesn't matter if you're a bit smelly, that's okay. Or that you kind of your clothes are a bit, you know, I'm not on about if you can't afford new clothes, you know, or, or, or to look nice. But I mean, we think we can all make an effort, can't we? What are your standards? Your standards, what are your standards of cleanliness? Seriously, what are your standards of cleanliness? Do you shower regularly? Do you look after yourself? Do you, do you try and eat healthy foods and, and all of this kind of stuff? What are your standards of cleanliness? Your standards, the standards you use. And I know that the context there is Jesus talking about in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. But our standards are important, aren't they? They define us and who we are. In, in judging is the st- uh, sorry, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own? How often? I know, I know many of you know these verses so well. How often? How often? Anyone use that, that verse on someone else? You're kind of doing what you're criticizing them for when you do that, aren't you? If you think about it, it's a bit ironic, isn't it? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you to get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Wow. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck. The speck. In your friend's eye. There's always two meanings. There's always two meanings. In fact, there's generally more than two meanings. Most people hate their enemies. They despise them. What if we felt sorry for them? What if we thought, hey, the people who are mistreating us, the people who are persecuting us, the people who are wronging us, what if we felt sorry for them? What if we felt sorry for them because actually they're in, in, in a situation where they're going to reap what they're sowing? 
They are going to reap what they are sowing. So, so they're, they're, they've got, they've got a, 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 an issue ahead. What if we felt sorry for them? What if we had just a change in mentality and went, hey, I'm going to feel sorry for this person because they're in such a mess. I think it was Shakespeare who said, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to fall sick. It'll only cause you grief. It will only be you that is ill. What if we felt genuine concern for their health and for their soul? Doesn't mean you've got to kind of go around and, and do loads of stuff to them and, and be all lovey-dovey with them and everything. And sometimes that's not possible, is it? Sometimes you've just got to distance yourself. But what I'm saying is, don't hate. Don't hate on them. You're just going to damage yourself right there. Right there. Don't hate on them. Are there people in the world who would give anything? Anything, right? You're going through stuff right now and you're like, it's all terrible and it's all bad. Is there, are there some people in the world somewhere, anywhere, who would give everything to, to be in your position? We've got friends and, and they had a, a visiting speaker, guy who, who was on Sky TV, used to be a Sky Sports presenter, and his wife tragically died, I think about a year or so ago, 18 months ago, and uh, he's got a small boy, and uh, do you know what I just said to Vicky the other day, I said, do you know what, and it was a text, because I, I couldn't really call her for wherever she was, I'm like, do you know what, I, I bet he would give anything for just one more day with his wife. I bet he'd give anything just for one more day. And I know that's hard to hear. And maybe you're, you say, oh, Barry, but I, I don't have much friendship and, and much love and I'm struggling to find love. Hey, listen, let me tell you, right, you don't have to find love if you're coming from a place of love. Amen. If you're coming from a place of love, you already have love. It will come to you. If the love of God is within you, love will come to you. You don't have to go and find it. You don't have to go and work at it. You'll have so much of it that because what you sow, so shall you reap. I'm going to end. I'm going to end, but I want to end with this. Where I started. Because... This message is about the start. If you're struggling, ask God, what's the meaning of this? What's the meaning of what I'm going through? The quality of your, of your life is directly related to your communication, first and foremost with God. First and foremost with God. Are you communicating with Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Then it's with your communication with yourself. How are you, how are you, you've read, you've heard all the stuff from God, but then you're still saying, yeah, but I'm terrible and woe is me and I'm awful. And God's like, but I've told you you're not. I've told you I love you. I've told you you're worthy. I've told you, 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 you know, all of these great things. I've told you you're the apple of my eye. I've told you you're my beloved. Oh, you're still kind of discounting that and saying, yeah, but I don't really feel like that. And that's not the case. And then thirdly, it's about your communication with others. 
Dale Carnegie tells a, a great story. I read this book about 18 years ago. Maybe some of you could do with reading it. How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he, he talks in the book. One of the chapters is on never criticise, condemn or complain. And he shares a story about, I think it was Lincoln, President Lincoln. Our American friends are like this, uh, this one, you like this one, Hannah. I bet I've told you this, haven't I? Possibly, you might, maybe, maybe. And Lincoln was, was a, in, in his early life, he was a criticizer. He used to criticize people. He used to leave notes and put stuff in the press about people and call them his enemies and all of this until eventually one day, one guy got wind of, of that it was Lincoln and realized who it was. And he challenged him because it was back in the day, he challenged him to a duel. Seriously, deadly serious, this, this fact. Lincoln was challenged to a duel and it was only literally at the last moment they, they even went as far as Lincoln got to choose I don't know if they tossed the coin or whatever but apparently he got to choose and he had long arms and he chose, he chose swords because he thought that would give him the better, better, better chance because of his long arms and it was only at the last minute that the seconds they were the guys in the old films when you see them holding the pistols and handing them out the seconds eventually managed to get them to stop and get them to leave it and not do it. Lincoln was facing a duel to the death. From that moment, he made his, his life's work to never ever criticise, condemn or complain. He stopped, he learned his lesson. Some of you need to learn that lesson. Some of you criticising, complaining, condemning, moaning, all of this stuff. Do not judge others that you would not be judged. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.